This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. Let's take our Bibles and find, if you would please, uh, the book of 2 Timothy, chapter number 3, and we'll come to verse number 14. 2 Timothy, chapter number 3, and verse number 14. The Apostle Paul is writing to his son in the faith, Timothy. And Timothy has been uh, commissioned to be the pastor in Ephesus, and uh, Ephesus was a city that was filled with immorality and wicked influences. It was a, a pagan city, as all cities of the world were at that time, with the exception of Jerusalem. And, of course, the believers had been scattered abroad, and so Paul, in his missionary journeys, has gone throughout those regions preaching and establishing churches, winning people to Christ, and uh, Timothy is now pastoring the church at Ephesus, and uh, he has many challenges, many challenges, uh, the moral climate of the day and its influence and its pull upon the church that he pastored, uh, the persecution of the Roman government and the hostility and animosity uh, toward those who worshiped and served the Lord Jesus Christ uh, was at an increasing and alarming rate. Uh, Paul, of course, had suffered, and Timothy had witnessed much of that, and Paul is encouraging Timothy here to be strong in the Lord and to continue to preach the message of God's Word. But we come to verse number 14, and uh, he writes these words, and this is his final uh, book epistle that he wrote. So these are the words of a dying man sentenced and condemned to death and uh, in a Roman dungeon awaiting his execution. We come to verse 14, but continue thou in the things uh, which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to look together into your word we hear the words of the Apostle Paul as he exhorts his son Timothy, his young um, protege of ministry, as he says to him, continue thou. God, we pray that you would help us to heed these words, that we would be faithful to you in these hours. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. In verse number 15, as Paul is writing this, he says, and that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. The Bible here is referred to as the Holy Scriptures. In verse number 16, 
he begins by saying all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. So we look to the Scriptures. I want to ask you a question this morning. What is the source that you look to for truth? And what is the source that many in our world look to for truth? I imagine that many today are looking uh, to the journalists to find out what's going on in our world to get truth, to the broadcast news of the day or to uh, the social media outlets uh, that uh, fill our culture today. Let me just say to you, please be careful what you read and what you embrace through these media forms. Some look to education and some look to philosophy and many look to their own opinions. A phrase that has been popularized in recent years, I I never heard this growing up, but it's becoming a, a phrase that I hear often now is the phrase, my truth, as if truth is personal and it is interchangeable depending on who you are and what your perspective is. My truth, well, maybe you are looking today to your opinions and trusting in your emotions, your preferences. Maybe you're looking to political parties. I I would doubt that's true today, but perhaps there are many who still do that. Or friends or maybe family members, and that's your source of truth. Well, I'm here to tell you that the Apostle Paul was writing to Timothy to encourage him to remain steadfast in his commitment to the one source of truth that we can rely upon today. That is the Bible, the Word of God. In recent months, we've all heard about what is essential, essential workers and essential businesses. and uh, That term essential has been used and, and misused, no doubt, many times. Well, I want you to know that there is an essential book, and it's the Bible. It's the Word of God. It seems to be the book that the world has cast away and the world has great contempt for. It seems to be the book that many Christians have forgotten and neglected. But may God help us this morning to be reminded that we have a book, and it is very essential to us, the Bible. The Bible is the Word of God. It is God's revelation of Himself. God's Word declares and expresses clearly to us how that we may know Him and how that we may please Him. The Bible tells us not only who God is but who we are, human beings created in the image of God but marred by sin. The central message of the Bible is the message of God's love and his desire for us that we might be saved from sin and death. Through the pages of the Bible, we learn what God has done through the work of his Son and the work of his Spirit to redeem sinful men of their sin and death and to give them life everlasting. And God has chosen to communicate all of this today in written form through his word. Now, a word is an expression. It is a 
communication of thought. Like a boxcar carries cargo, words and the words of Scripture here in this context carry the thoughts of God. Thought connected to thought, word by word, the Bible conveys to us the mind of God. And so we understand that God is known through his book, and this Bible is an essential book. In fact, if we note again uh, verse number 17, we see that the Apostle Paul said that this book was given, that the man of God, let me just stop right there and say the Bible is the only book that can make a sinful man the man of God. It's the only book that can do that. That the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. The word perfect there uh, may be a little different than what we imagine, although some of you may imagine that you are perfect. Uh, your spouse will remind you that you are not. The word perfect here means complete or whole, lacking nothing. The phrase truly furnished means to equip, to outfit, to supply everything that is needed. In other words, when we look at these words together, what we find is that God has made us complete because through the ministry of his word, he has given us all that we need and he has taught us all that he desires for us to know. And so the Bible is that book which equips us and supplies us with the tools necessary to perform all good works to please God. In contrast... If we do not have the Bible, then we are altogether incomplete as human beings. We are altogether incompetent to do good works. You see, when you reject God's word, you can't live a life that pleases God. You become an incomplete person. We have a world uh, of people who are looking for meaning in life. They're looking for purpose. They're looking for satisfaction. They're trying to fill the void of their lives. But they will not find it apart from the truth of God's word. And so we thank God that we have the Bible. It is the essential book. Now we'll note three things as we Look at this passage, and as we think of this subject of the essential book, first of all, I want you to see the authority of the Bible, the authority. Then secondly, I want you to see the authenticity of it. And then finally, the activity of the Bible. Let's look first of all at the authority of the Bible. The Bible is essential because it is authoritative. And it is authoritative because we understand that it is true. It is true. The Holy Scriptures are described here by the Apostle Paul. He says in verse 15, And that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. The, the Scriptures are called Holy Scriptures because they have come to us as a result of the revelation of God. They have come to us from the mind of God. They have come to us as a result of a supernatural act of God to speak to us and to communicate to us 
his mind. They are also called holy because they are without error and they are pure. God's word is not corruptible. It is incorruptible. Now, Satan has sought from the very beginning to cause doubt and, and, and to dispute the word of God. But God's word is true. Jesus said in John 17 and verse number 17, when he prayed for his disciples, he said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. What a statement. Jesus said, the word of God is truth. The son of God bears witness concerning the word of God, and he says to us that the word of God is true. I want you to know that the Bible does not simply contain truth. You don't go into the Bible just to look for some truths. No, the Bible is truth. It is altogether true. It is the word of God. It bears witness of the truth that God created the world and all that is therein. We learn that God made man and gave him life and that man sinned against God and that God gave his only begotten son to make the payment of the sins of humanity and provide salvation for all who believe. It is through the pages of the Bible that we understand that God is working an eternal purpose. He's preparing for us a place called heaven. We understand that the world will grow wax and worse, uh, wax worse and worse rather, uh, with evil men and seducers. Uh, we understand that the Antichrist will establish uh, a one-world government and rebellion against God, but we also understand that Jesus is coming again and will put down that rebellion. I want you to know we see all of human history unfold in the pages of God's Word. What a book the Bible is. The Bible was written uh, by human penmen inspired of God. There were 40 different authors who lived on three different continents who wrote the Bible in three different languages. The Bible is a book of 66 books that completes one whole book. Uh, there is unity in the Bible. 1,189 chapters in the Bible. If you decide to read the Bible, you can read three to four chapters a day and read through the Bible in a year. Let me recommend it to you. You see, the Bible is God's truth. Now, Webster defines truth as conformity to fact or reality. <laughs> we live in a world today that is very confused, is it not? I don't mean this from a political position, but we are dealing with a lot of fake news today, are we not? A lot of lies and deceptions. Truth is fact. It is reality. It is pure from falsehood. The, the complete word study Bible helps us with the understanding of this word truth as it is used. And uh, it is defined as reality, truth as evidenced in relation to facts. It is observable. It is spoken of what is true itself. It involves purity from all error or falsehood. The Apostle John said it this way. 
In John chapter number one, in first John rather, first John chapter number one, he said, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked on, and our hands have handled of the word of life. Now, when he uses the expression word of life, the word, word, is capitalized. All right? That means it's a proper name. It's a proper name for a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 1, the gospel of John. In the beginning was the word. Who is that speaking of? Jesus himself. A name or the name of Jesus is the word. Jesus and his word are synonymous. He is the author of God's word, the son of God who spoke the word of God. And John says, we heard him with our own ears, we saw him with our own eyes, and we touched him with our own hands. This is an observable fact. This is a true statement. We are witnesses of these things. That's what John is trying to say. Verse 3, that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you. Now, the apostle Peter, along the same thought, said this in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 16. He said, for we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, we didn't, we didn't follow some fable or some story. We, we didn't follow along with that kind of a storyline, and we didn't conjure these things up with our own imaginations. He said, no, that's, that's not what happened, verse 16 but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We saw these things. These are observable facts. This is reality. This is true. For he, speaking of Jesus, verse 17, received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven, we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. He said, we were there on the mountain of transfiguration. We saw Jesus in his eternal glory. We heard this. We saw this. But notice what he says in verse 19. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. In other words, stronger than what we saw is the word of God, a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Peter and John go to great pain and detail to express to us that the record of the Scripture is the record of truth. God's Word is true. Stephen Lawson, who is an author and preacher, gives 
six characteristics of truth. I want to share them with you quickly. Number one, he says, truth is divine. Ultimately, all truth, he writes, is God's truth. Truth can be known only by divine revelation. God is the one source and sole author of truth. Number two, truth is absolute. Without God, he writes, there cannot be any absolutes. Without absolutes, there can be no objective universal truths. Without absolutes, truth becomes subjective, hence the my truth, your truth. Well, that was true then, but it's not true today. These are the kind of things that we hear in the world today. Number three, truth is singular. That is to say, truth is a single entity. Lawson writes, the Bible does not simply contain parts of truth. It is truth. Number four, truth is objective. This means that it is not subjective. In other words, it's not up for you and I to determine or fashion it. But it is objective. It's not discovered by personal feelings nor determined by private intuitions. It is definite, definitive, and conclusive. It is accurately stated by the fixed meaning of words. Now, that's important, especially in today's culture. The fixed meaning of words. Do you know that in our current day, there are many in education, there are many in politics, there are many uh, in, in the media who are changing the definitions of words. Tenses of verbs, pronouns, and how they are used, whether singular or plural, all of those things are now up for grabs. In fact, I recently spoke to our, our church to explain to you that the Congress of the United States has adopted rules now that you cannot use terms like husband and wife, father or mother, son or daughter, he or she. No, you have to use the accepted politically correct pronouns and descriptive terms of the day, like parent, parent-in-law, spouse, child. You see, this redefinition of words and this new use of terms are specifically designed to fashion the thinking of a culture to rebel against a holy God who has established order. And throughout 6,000 years of, biblically his, of biblical history, all the things that have been observed in Western culture for, for many, many centuries have now been rejected. In this effort to establish a new morality, which is only a morality designed to rebel against God. Number five, truth is immutable. Immutable. That means it cannot be changed. In other words, what was true 100 years ago is true today. What was true 1,000 years ago is true today. What was true 2,000 years ago it's true today. And not only is it true today, it will always be true throughout all eternity. Truth is immutable. It does not change. 
It is permanent. It is fixed. It is established. It is inflexible. It is unvarying. It is constant, lasting, enduring, timeless. And the truth is always relevant and always current. Number six, truth is authoritative. And that's what we're looking at. The the entire thought that we're looking at is that God's word is true, and therefore the truth is authoritative. Let Let me just read a few comments here. Truth, he says, speaks with supreme or with the supreme authority of God himself. God is the author of truth. What greater authority can you find? None. There's no greater authority than God himself the designer, the creator, the savior, the redeemer, the sovereign of the universe. It never offers mere suggestions. The Bible's not a book of suggestions. It never presents just one more option to consider. It is never intended to be simply interesting. It never speaks to tickle our curiosity. Instead, truth speaks with the voice of sovereignty. Truth roars with the sound of many waters, drowning out every other voice. Truth is commanding, arresting, and directional. It has the authority to order us. Truth must, therefore, be heard. It demands our undivided attention. We cannot pretend that truth is not spoken. We cannot act as if it will go away. We cannot live in denial of truth. It lays hold of us by the lapels and draws us close. It summons us and mandates our complete compliance. Truth is binding upon our lives. Truth demands our response. And truth must be contended for in every generation. And the battle is raging today, is it not? the battle for truth. What did Hosea say in Hosea chapter 4 and verse 1? He said, Hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel, for the Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. Because, here's the controversy, here's the problem, he says, there is no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. How did we get in the shape we're in in the good old United States of America, I'll tell you how. We have rejected as a nation God's truth. Why are many, many churches in America in decline and the influence of the church on decline in our nation? I'll tell you why. Because they have forsaken and forgotten God's truth. May God help us to understand that God has given us his word and it is authoritative. Spurgeon said, he that perverts truth shall soon be incapable of knowing the true from the false. You know, the church has got less and less or has grown rather less and less discerning. The things are taking place today in churches that would have never taken place just a few years ago. He says, if you persist in wearing glasses that distort, everything will be distorted to you. Jude wrote 
and said in verse 3, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. We have a responsibility in our generation to contend for the truth of God's word. And may God help us rise to the occasion. The authority of the Bible. Here's the second thing I want to give you. The authenticity of it. The authenticity of it. This speaks of the question, how did we get it? How did we get this book? How can we be sure that it is trustworthy? Is it not just the writings of men? Well, the Apostle Paul gives us the answer here, does he not? Notice again in verse 16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. The word inspiration is an interesting word. It means God breathed. And what we find about this book, the Bible, is that we know and we can be sure that it is God's truth and we can know that it is authentic, that God has given it to us because God helps us understand the way in which he gave it to us and how he has preserved it. Two words I want you to think about with me here. First of all, inspiration, and the second, preservation. We have a book that has been inspired of God, and we have a book that is preserved by God. As we think about these two thoughts, we're going to look, first of all, at the inspiration of the Bible. The word inspired means God breathed. God breathed. Now, Peter described it this way in 1 Peter chapter 1, or 2 Peter, rather, chapter 1 and verse 20. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. In other words, the book of the Bible was not something that a group of men got together or one or two men got together and decided, hey, we're going to come up with a book. We're going to come up with this religion. No, that's not what happened. He said, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. You see, this is the doctrine of inspiration, that the Holy Ghost of God, the Holy Spirit of God, moved on men and inspired them to record the very words of God. Now, these were men called the apostles and the prophets, and the, they were men who had stood the test. Uh, there were outward acts and, and, and miracles that many of them performed to give witness of the fact that uh, they were authentic men of God. And these men, uh, through the usage of their personalities and uh, their culture and their background, God used them in, in, in the expressions that they would have used just as you have different preachers who preach in different styles today, but God can use all of them. He uses the uniqueness of their personalities. He uses their education and their experience and their, their historical and cultural setting, but he communicates through them his unchanging, everlasting word. It is a supernatural work of God. This Bible is the God-breathed book, inspired, and it gives life to all who read it. 
But secondly, and it's important for us to understand, because if we're going to hold this Bible in our hands and know that what we're looking at is the Word of God, not only do we have to believe that it was inspired, but we have to believe that it has been preserved. It has been preserved. You see, Satan is always working to corrupt and contaminate the truth of God's Word. But I want to tell you that we have a God who is well able to overcome the efforts of the devil. The apostle, or or rather the, 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 the psalmist wrote in Psalm 12 and verse 6, the words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation and forever. You see, if God went to all the trouble to communicate to us the word of God, to inspire men in a miraculous move of the Holy Ghost to record the word of God, then that same God is able to preserve his word. The God who spoke this world into existence has no trouble giving and providing to you and I today a reliable, truthful copy of the Word of God. He has preserved His Word for us. Isaiah said it this way in Isaiah 40 in verse 8, The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the Word of our God shall stand forever. What a blessing. What a blessing it is to have the Bible. Jesus said it this way, Matthew 24, verse 35, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. You see, throughout human history, many efforts have been made to discredit and to diminish and to destroy the word of God, and they have all failed. We have a book that endures forever. What a blessing. Adrian Rogers gave five reasons that he believes the Bible is the word of God. I don't have time to review all of them with you, but I will read them to you. He said, number one, I believe the Bible is the word of God because of its scientific accuracy. Number two, I believe the Bible is the word of God because of its historical accuracy. Number three, he said, I believe the Bible is the word of God because of its unity. He says, the Bible is a book of 66 books which make one. It has one theme, salvation, one hero, Jesus, one villain, the devil, one purpose, to glorify God. He said, I believe the Bible, number four, is the word of God because of its fulfilled prophecy. You know, in the life of Jesus, there are 300 specific fulfillments of prophecies that were given in the Old Testament just in the life of Jesus that were brought to pass. Written hundreds and hundreds of years before he was born, and yet they were all fulfilled. He says, fifthly, I believe the Bible is the word of God because of its ever-living qualities. Oh, the word of God is alive today, and it produces life-changing results in the lives of those who hear it. So we see, number one, we have the authority of the Bible. It came from God. It's true. Number two, we have the authenticity of the Bible. God inspired and he preserved his word. And so we have a reliable, truthful word that we can look to today. Number three, we're going to see the activity of the Bible. The activity of the Bible. Some may ask, why should I read the Bible? Why all this talk about the Bible? It's just an old book, some would say. Isn't it outdated? It's so hard to understand. Why should we preach it? Why should we read it? 
Why should we study it, memorize it? Why? Why should we even be concerned about what the Bible has to say? Because it's God's book. And it is a working book. It is an active book. Now notice, if you would, please, with me in verse 15. And that from a child, thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are, would you say the next word with me? Able. God's word is able. What is it able to do? To make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Now, you ask the average person on the street, or you you fly across the ocean and land in a foreign country, and you find someone, and you say to them, can you tell me how to get to heaven? Well, you're going to get an, a, 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 an amazing amount of answers, a, a wide and variable amount of answers concerning how someone can get to heaven. But if you really want to know how to get to heaven, there's one place you can find out in the Bible, the Word of God. You see, the Bible is an active working book, and it produces three things in us. First of all, it produces salvation. It produces salvation. The Bible tells us that faith cometh by hearing, Romans chapter 10, And verse 17, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. You see, it is when I hear the word of God, when I'm confronted with the truth of God's word, I recognize that I'm a sinner and that Jesus is the son of God. I am brought to a point of conviction of my sin and a recognition of my need for salvation, and it is in that moment that I cast my Uh, my all on Jesus, I place my faith in him, and it is the word of God that causes me to respond to him in faith. And that brings me to salvation. Paul said to Timothy, it's able to make thee wise unto salvation. If we want to see people saved today, there's only one way that's going to happen. We've got to communicate to them what the Bible says. How shall they hear without a preacher? And how should they preach except they be sent? Well, we've been sent, so how's the preaching going? How's the hearing going? We have a world of people who need Jesus. Let's take the gospel to them. It works. The word of God works. And so it produces salvation. It produces a second thing, that's sanctification. Notice, if you would, please, in verse 16, the Holy Scriptures are profitable. There's another word, profitable. That means it's good for you. It's good for you. Now, we don't always like what's good for us, right? But we need it. We need it. Broccoli's good for you, I guess. may not like it. But I want to tell you, the more you spend time in the Word of God, the more you feast on the bread of life, the sweeter it gets. Oh, there's nothing, nothing, nothing that's more meaningful and encouraging and soul-building than when you get in the Bible and God speaks to you. It's profitable. It's good for you. You know, I've said it often. I've spent time watching a ball game, watching the Tennessee Volunteers. And that's my team, and everybody knows it. And uh, I'll, I'll make preparation. i got to be at a certain place at a certain time to see the game. And so that costs time up front. Then you sit and watch the game. And then 
oftentimes I end up extremely disappointed with the results of the game, especially the football team, right? And then I'll think to myself, why did I just waste three hours of my life? Why did I do that? But I keep doing it over and over again, just hoping that someday something will change. But I want to tell you something. Anytime you and I spend in the Bible, we will not come away disappointed and we will never waste our time because it's good for us. Now, notice what it's good to do. It's good for doctrine. That means to teach us what to believe. We hear so many people say things uh, uh, about what they believe about the Bible that are not actually from the Bible. There are churches and religious systems which teach doctrines that are nowhere found in the Bible. We can make sure that we are consistent to what God has said because we get doctrine from the Bible. That's important. For reproof, now that's kind of tough to swallow sometimes, right? When somebody tells you, hey, you're wrong. I don't like that. Neither do you, but I need it. Not only do we get reproved, but we get correction. That means don't just tell me what I did wrong, but help me to get it right. And then instruction in righteousness, that's how to keep it right. You see, the, the Bible is essential for my salvation and for my sanctification. If I'm going to live a life that is pleasing to God, then I need the Bible. And then it's essential for my service. Notice in verse 17, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. If I'm going to please God, if I'm going to serve God, then I need to do it consistently in compliance to the word of God. Sometimes well-meaning people say, well, I, I just want to do something for God. And so they decide because they like a certain thing, that's what they're going to do. I'd hate to spend my life doing something think, that, that really I wanted to do, but that wasn't necessarily what God wanted me to do. And then come down to the end of the road and say, I really didn't accomplish anything for God. You see, I want to make sure that I'm serving God in a way that pleases him. I used to work for United Parcel Service. I didn't go in for my interview with Dave Edens when I was a student at the University of Tennessee and say, you know, Dave, I'd really like to work for UPS, but I think I'd like to work, you know, between classes. And not on Fridays, because I'd like to be off on Fridays. And I don't want to wear one of those ridiculous brown uniforms because I don't really look good in brown. So would you let me come in, and, and, and I don't want to sweat in that truck. Let me take some packages in my car. You see, that's how so many people approach Christian service. Let me do what I want to do on my terms. If we want to know how to serve God, we find out in the Bible. It's an active book. It produces things in our lives. Then we see, lastly, what the Word of God pictures for us as far as its activity in our lives. We see what it produces in us, but note what it pictures for us. And I'll move quickly through these. First of all, the Bible is a shining light. David said, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Here I am living in a dark world, a world of confusion. I don't always know what's waiting around the other corner. So how do I navigate life? I need God's word to guide me. I need a shining light in the darkness. 
Here's a second picture we find in the Bible. It's a piercing sword. A piercing sword. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I, I'm not looking forward to getting pierced by a sword. Uh, swords bring death, but not the sword of the spirit, the word of God. It's a sword that brings life but it pierces. If you've ever had surgery, you, you probably don't remember this aspect of the surgery, and you're probably glad you don't. But a surgeon took a scalpel, and he began to cut into your body. Maybe he had to separate some bones and move some organs, and he had to go deep into your body and make some really painful cuts to find the problem to remove the infection or the cancer or to bind the bone or to repair the tear. It was a painful thing, but it was a necessary thing. And once all of the problem was dealt with, he removed the scalpel and he stitched you up and you began to heal. Do you know what the Bible does? like a sword, like a scalpel. It penetrates into the heart and mind of a man and of a woman, into his conscience, into his being. And it cuts to the heart of the matter, of our pride, of our lust, of our indifference, of our hatred, of our animosity and our jealousy and our covetousness. God, by his word, cuts into us. And if we allow him through the ministry of the word, he'll identify our problem and remove it by his grace. The Bible's like life-giving bread. Jesus said in Matthew 4 and verse 4, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. The souls of humanity are drying up and dying looking for fulfillment, looking for contentment, looking for purpose. There's only one place to find it in the Bible. It's the bread of life. The Bible is cleansing water. The apostle Paul writing in Ephesians 5 and verse 26 says this concerning the Lord and his relationship to his church, that he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy, that's clean, and without blemish. We get dirty in this world, don't we? Lot, the just man, vexed his soul with the filthy conversation of the wicked living in Sodom and Gomorrah. It made him dirty. He contaminated him. And you can't live in this dirty world without it contaminating your mind and your heart and your thoughts. So how do we stay clean? We let the water of the word of God wash over us and get rid of the dirt. Sometimes when, when uh, it's my turn to clean the kitchen, usually because the person whose turn it was found something better to do. I have a little thing that annoys me. I don't like for people to put dishes in the dishwasher that have not been rinsed out. And I've got this procedure that I like for my 
people to follow. You have two sides of the sink, so we rinse the dishes out on the right side of the sink. And if we're not going to load the dishwasher, then we'll store them on the left side. We don't put dirty dishes on the left side of the sink. We put dirty dishes on the right side of the sink. After we rinse them out and they're ready to go into the dishwasher, sometimes the dishwasher's running, you see, so you can't put them directly into the dishwasher. So you put them on the left side, and then when you pull them out of the left side, you know they're ready for the dishwasher. I've been trying to teach a group of young people that for a long, long time, and I have not succeeded. So I'll take a dish and it'll be discolored by whatever was on that dish and I will take the water and I will move it to hot and I will hold it there and I will let that water hit that dish. And sometimes immediately whatever's there is gone. Sometimes it takes a little while. Sometimes you got to change the angle, you know. You got to grab that little thing, you know, that pulls out and and you can move around with the faucet that way. And you got to change the angle, you got to change the water pressure. You just got to find creative ways, but let me tell you what will happen eventually. That water will remove that dirt. What we need is to stay under the constant influence of the word of God to keep our soul and our mind clean. The Bible is cleansing water. Here's the last one. The Bible is a reflecting mirror. James said, for if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass, for he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. A number of you ladies, before you came to church this morning, you spent a little time in front of the mirror. You're looking at your hair. You're looking at your makeup. You're looking at your outfit because you want to present yourself in a certain way to the best of your ability. And you check in the mirror to make sure everything is proper and in its place. And James here is saying, when you look in the mirror and you see something that's out of place, or something that's not right, or a blemish that needs to be addressed, and you don't address it. You don't style the hair. You leave it unkept. That's the same thing as going to God's Word and God speaking to you, and you're not doing anything about it. You see, God's Word is a reflecting mirror, and when we look into it, we get a checkup to see what's going on with our lives and our walk with God. That's why we need the Bible. It's an essential book. Now, I want to ask you something. I want to ask you to respond to what God has said to you today, a call to action. Because I believe that this group believes that the Bible is essential. Do you believe that? Would you say amen? But maybe you're here this morning and you do not know the Lord as your Savior. I want to encourage you through the pages of God's word. God reveals to us that he loves us, that he sent his son to save us, and that if you'll by faith receive him and confess that you're a sinner, he will give you everlasting life. And maybe you're here today and you need to respond to his offer of salvation. In just a moment, we're going to sing 
a hymn of invitation, and we'll invite you to come, and there will be people here who will take the Bible and show you from the Word of God how that you can be saved. If you are saved, then I want to ask you, would you ask the Lord to do something in your life today? Three things. Number one, would you ask him to renew your conviction concerning the Bible? Renew your conviction concerning the Bible. Do you believe it's God's revelation? Do you believe it's authoritative? Do you believe it's authentic? Then ask God to renew that conviction in your heart. Here's the second thing. Would you ask God to renew your commitment to it? It's one thing to say, i got a conviction about the Bible. It's another thing to be committed to it. Committed to read it. Committed to study it. Committed to memorize it. Here comes the hard one. Committed to obey and live by it. And then here's the last thing I want to ask you to ask the Lord today. Would you ask the Lord to renew you through your conformity to the Word of God? To renew you. In other words, you say, Lord, examine my heart. Examine my life, my attitude, my thinking. Renew in me a desire to be obedient to your word, to be changed? Would you allow the Bible to be active in you, to stir you and to shape your heart and your mind and the way you think and the attitudes that you hold? It's a call to action. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used his word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you. And thank you for listening.